0: Thank you for tuning in to the WAM podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Welcome. I'm Dr. Barbara Troutline, Principal and Chief Catalyst at Change Catalysts, home of the CQ System for Developing Change Intelligent Leaders and Organizations. I'm thrilled to be a host for Women in Manufacturing. The conversations we are having with exceptional women in STEM fields is mission critical for organizations to ensure all voices are heard and are able to contribute in this time of massive disruption across industries around the globe. And of course, it's of vital importance for women and girls and men and boys too, to achieve success in life and work. Now, I'd like to welcome Shonali Ditz and Tianan Mural, who are founders and directors of the nonprofit Spark Shop. For fourth and fifth grade students who aren't aware of opportunities in engineering, SparkShop is an immersive engineering education program that empowers them to see their futures as engineers. Unlike standalone or after-school programs, SparkShop meets students where they live and learn and collaborates with their teachers to continue learning beyond their program. Shanali and Tiernan graduated from Northwestern's McCormick School of Engineering and went on to develop laser machinery and automotive components. After working in industry, They were inspired to make engineering an approachable and attainable future for more students. Welcome, Shanali and Tiernan.
1: Hi, Barbara. Thanks for having us. Hello. Welcome, welcome. All right. So let's start at the beginning. Why did you become engineers? So I think my story of getting into engineering is true of a lot of engineers, but it's also not very interesting. I was good at math and science in high school, and engineering is what people tell you you should study if you like those fields.
2: Yeah, and my story was a little bit different. I always loved biology as a kid and I was pretty good at, at math. I really enjoyed physics, but I always knew I wanted to pursue biology, but I didn't want to be a doctor and I didn't really know what other opportunities there were for people who loved biology and wanted to, to work with it outside of the medical fields. And so I, I flirted around with being a marine biologist or, you know, a couple other things that nothing, nothing quite landed right for me. And so I was still doing my high school soul searching when I took a quiz, like an online quiz about what should your major be? And it asked about your interests and your aptitudes, and it spit out biological engineering. And I had no idea that bio you could do biology and engineering together. And as soon as I found that out, it was like the perfect combination of skills and the perfect application of my interests. And so I pursued that through through college.
0: Well, that's very interesting because I had a definitely a similar tale, and that's one of the reasons that I'm inspired by your story in the sense that so often we really don't know what's even available in terms of career choices when we start college. So some of the work that you're doing, introducing this field to kids you know, well before they get into college is, is really fascinating to me. But But let's just continue with your story first, and how did you find your way then to the manufacturing industry?
1: Yeah, so Tiernan and I both went to Northwestern, and when I started out there, the first introductory engineering classes were lectures, there were some hands-on projects, and the hands-on projects were what I really loved and really excelled at, and I was looking for more of those. And the best place that I found that was on the Formula SAE team, so that's a student-run organization, sort of like a club uh, that's predominantly engineers building a small open-wheeled race car. So every year, students are welding, machining, designing, and then eventually building and racing with this small vehicle. And So I found that team my sophomore year and just got really into that. I learned how to weld. I was working on the frame team and then eventually was a project manager. And that hands-on application of what engineers are really doing and how things are made was the force that really got me inspired to pursue a career in manufacturing and to pursue those hands-on projects. And so then Tiernan was four years behind me in school. So while we didn't overlap, we both at different times rose to be the project manager of that team. And that's how we met each other. So we've always been very passionate about applying engineering to hands-on applications.
0: People are right. Often... And even as you said, you know, that wasn't even available to you until uh, later into your program in your college career, mm-hmm. once you even found the, the engineering field. So fantastic. I'm sorry. I think I interrupted one of you. What did oh, you want to say?
2: Okay. I was just going to say that people are often surprised that I joined the Formula SAE team because I was a biomedical engineering major, but I loved to build things. I love doing my class projects in the shop. And eventually some of my peers who were on that team pulled me in and like Shanali said the opportunity to spend 50 hours on a lathe was exciting to me as a college student. Mm -hmm. That was what really kept me kept me going was building things. And so I think kind of regardless of your degree, building things is something that is engaging to a lot of students, a lot of people.
1: One other thing I think that was especially great about the formula team that we both separately found in it is that it was such a big project. That no one person with one exceptional set of skills could really make it happen. Where in a class, you're sort of learning one skill at a time, maybe a combination of a combination of different tools and skills. But on the formula team, you needed engine experts, you needed frame experts, people who understood forces excellently, people that could do coding and programming excellently. And to be on a team where all those people were gathered to sort of create something real at the end was really moving.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And one thing I really love is to hear the themes that run through the different WAM interviews, and you've really hit on a couple. One is just how challenging it can be to even be exposed to engineering or manufacturing fields. And then on the positive side, though, there's the burgeoning awareness often once one is in the field as you're already experiencing in your college career, about a couple things. One, the again, how just great it feels to work with your hands, hands-on experience, and to see the fruits of your labor, to create something tangible in the world. That's, that's something that so many other women interviewees have pointed to. And then also doing it as a team and mm-hmm. just really recognizing that so often the stereotype is that engineers are alone at their computer, you know, doing, you know, complicated math and scientific applications all day and and just the awareness that so much of the work in engineering and manufacturing are done in teams and that a lot of us bring a lot of skill sets around that to bear to be team members and team leaders and also project management just the recognition that that is a skill set in and of itself and that so often people appreciate the ability to organize and and align people's initiatives and bring out the best in people. And that is something else that definitely the exposure to experiences like you're talking about has have been a consistent theme. Any other thoughts on that front?
1: No, I think that that was sort of the spark for us that got us really into like manufacturing and complex systems. Excellent. Well, then transitioning from your college experience,
0: what was your experience in industry like? So I went to work for a company that builds CNC
2: machines that drill micro holes. And I really loved our products. They were fascinating. They were cutting edge. They were really interesting and complicated. And that that's something that I love getting to wrap my head around and getting to be a part of. My coworkers were wonderful. We had really strong and dynamic teams. But there was also kind of this problem where there was it started to dawn on me through my time there, through my meetings, that like there was this pretty severe lack of diversity, both in ideas and in the, in the people that were in the room. So when I started my job at age 22, I was the only woman on the engineering team at a 40-person company, and so that was most of the time totally fine. But there were times where I had ideas that I thought were really exciting. And when people told me, no, you don't get to work on that, I didn't know if it was because I was 22. I didn't know if it was because I was the only woman in the room. I didn't know if it was both or if it was just because the idea wasn't a good idea. And so I really struggled as kind of the only person in the room. And to the credit of this company, they have since hired many female engineers. So it's not, it was perhaps growing pains at that point. But it's an interesting thing to be in a company that really prides itself on its innovation and to see a lack of diversity in in that room because we all know that when you have people from different backgrounds with different life experiences and different educational experiences you start to get much more ideas much better ideas and that that leads to innovative and cutting-edge solutions so when you have people even all from the same university they've all been trained in the same way that that becomes a problem so as i was in industry feeling like I was working on this amazing product, but not quite totally happy in my position at this company and struggling with the lack of diversity. I really felt called to take a little sidestep and to try to to do something to address that problem. So is that why
0: you decided to start SparkShop or is there other layers to that onion?
1: Yeah, I'll say it was it was largely that. So Tiernan and I were roommates at the time and it sort of followed these parallel paths a couple years apart where we loved the work we were doing. And we knew that engineering was this fun and dynamic field. But we were also, you know, reading all the statistics and all the widely recognized studies that like there, there aren't enough women in these fields and there aren't enough women coming up to pursue them. So it's not really a problem that's going to fix itself. And so. You know, we were we were roommates. So one night on the couch, I think we were talking about like what can we do that will that will do good for the world. And our first thing was like, should we be lawyers? And the answer was, of course not. Like we're we studied engineering. We love engineering. We don't need to totally pivot. We want to make our field better, the field that we've already you know loved and invested in and learned within. So we decided to really get at the root cause that we felt was causing all these issues. So we got into education. We decided that if kids early on, you know, before they have all the preconceived notions of themselves, knew what engineers really do and how many different skills you get to use in a day when you're in the manufacturing and building fields, then more people would want to pursue it. That's
0: fantastic. And kudos for you for, you know, stepping back at such a young age, reflecting upon your experience and really stepping up to have others have different experiences. that just that aspect of your story alone is just extremely inspirational to me. So thank you so much for doing that, especially as a mom <laughs> with two teenage kids. I, I wish that they had some of the experiences that you're also talking about even before this age. That's fantastic.
1: You know, we we hear it so much, too, even from our friends, um, our friends who studied maybe business, any other field, and are out there working nine to five and are thinking, like, wait, you made a part that went on that car? Like, wait, that's what engineers do? That's very cool. And so we would love for them to have that that epiphany at 10 instead of at 25. Absolutely. So how are you going about doing that? Yeah, so we we decided, you know, as a two-person team, we knew we had to be focused. We couldn't just try to get into every single school, work with every single kid. So we focused in initially on fourth and fifth graders. And fourth and fifth graders are at this sort of magical point developmentally where they're really open to forming new ideas about themselves. They're still forming their self-concept and defining themselves around their strengths in school. So we don't see a lot of kids in fourth and fifth grade who just say, I can't do math or I hate reading. Like you don't get that until a little bit later, luckily. So we're able to go in and really let them be engineers with us and build up that confidence to continue to pursue new projects. The sort of next decision we made was to work in their classrooms. We ran a couple sort of Saturday sessions to just sort of test out our experiments and our activities And the kids who opt into a program out of school tend to be kids who are already opting into a lot and already are interested in engineering or robotics or coding. In some way, they're already sort of in the ecosystem of STEM education. So we decided to go into the school day and make a really big difference with students, with their teachers, and to sort of change the minds of kids who might not have signed up for something like our program before.
2: Yeah. And so to do that, right? So we've decided we're going to teach kids who don't think they're interested in engineering. We're going to teach engineering to them. And so we had to address this question of like, how do we build a program that is engaging to kids who aren't currently being engaged in this educational ecosystem? Because there are lots of people that are starting to teach STEM in a very different way to elementary school students and to middle school students. And so we wanted to make sure that we did something that was extremely inclusive for the students that were being kind of missed in that process. So we decided to do what exactly what was what the thing was that engaged us when we were first getting into engineering and manufacturing. We decided we were going to do really hands-on lessons with the machinery, because as Charlie mentioned, a big hook for her was getting to weld. For me, it was getting to run the CNCs and work on the lathe and and build things out of metal. And so we wanted to bring these high stakes projects into classrooms where the kids can use not just a 3D printer, but also a small CNC carving machine, a tensile test machine, things where the kids get to be engineers the way that engineers truly are. And that'll hopefully show them, wow, this is interesting. This is fun. This is dynamic. Yeah.
1: And then the the second part of what we did was try to put ourselves in the shoes of the kids who really aren't engaged yet by math and science. If we just brought in the machinery, it would be a field day for all the young chanales and Tiernins in the room. But we knew that we wanted everyone to get involved. So the flash of the machines does engage more students anyhow. But what we created were post-lessons that let a teacher connect engineering and manufacturing to science, social studies, art, and language arts. So a teacher is able to then bring those technical topics into their sort of core classes and teach within their comfort zone and also engage the kids who maybe are reading a bunch of books and don't really see the connection to science yet. Or our artists, the artists are a natural fit to get into the design fields, but they maybe don't see that connection yet.
2: That also allows us to teach students for a lot longer without Shanali and I having to go into the classroom. So we're using their teacher's as experts to kind of extend what we're doing without us needing to physically be there. Because as Shanali mentioned, we are a two person team. Mm -hmm. We are not in the business of rapidly hiring staff Mm -hmm. to do our teaching. And so this, this lets us serve a lot of students, build some knowledge and some confidence in the teachers and elevate kids the whole way through.
0: Well again, so extremely impressive. I mean, so broad and so deep in terms of your planning process and just learning so much about the right age to get in and deliver this kind of information and experience to students and how smart you were about not making it a come in and sprinkle some magic dust and have just a fun experience, but mm-hmm. making it really an experience that's going to live on, empowering the teachers also, and just engaging with you know kids who like I love how you said that not just you know mini U's but mm-hmm. you know that that are also maybe not as engaged in math and science but with other disciplines and really showing people the the different connections. I mean that's just. You know, fantastic that you were so broad and deep thinking as you uh, as you designed and rolled this out. Congrats to that.
1: Oh, thank you. We, We really like to say we designed it like engineers. Every single piece was tested. There was a lot of feedback in every way or every step of the way from teachers, from kids, from parents. So we owe a lot to them. Well, fantastic!
0: Agile, iterative design <laughs> at work. Mm-hmm. Um, Continuous improvement. That, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Well, well, you know, one fundamental question that might be in the minds of some of our listeners <laughs> is: Do nine and ten year olds even care about manufacturing?
2: Yeah, they do, and
0: and people are absolutely
2: shocked that we'll teach something that sounds as quote unquote like dry, right? As dry as manufacturing to nine and ten year olds. But kids at that age are really tactile everything around them are things that they're thinking about. And I think we tend to forget that as we grow up because we start to live a little more and more in our heads. But kids that age, really, once we once we spend time talking to them and explaining to them the way that things are made, they really start to wonder how everything around them was made. And that, that's really special because manufacturing can be the hook. that gets these kids thinking differently about the world around them. We see our students, if, if you just let a kid ask you, if we tell them, we can tell you how anything in this classroom was made, what do you want to know how it's made? They'll ask, they'll ask you know, questions for four hours if mm-hmm. you let them, just picking up different things. But if you teach them the tools to recognize the materials around them, which is really intuitive, kids mm-hmm. can look at things and say, that's what, that's metal. I know what these things are. So again, I'm talking about those materials, like engineers, we introduce material properties. And then the kids start to be able to look around the room and recognize, like, this is plastic. I doubt somebody carved this, Mm -hmm. carved this bin that is holding some books. And we can walk them in to being able to deduce for themselves how things around them were made.
1: And yeah, we we do a lot of really dressing it down to their age to make it something fun. So we have a scavenger hunt in the classroom for materials. It's the first thing we do in our manufacturing class. And it's to sort of get the kids thinking that, like, they already know a lot about what is around us and how things are made. And then as we go through the course, it becomes a little more of a detective game. of Like, what are the clues on this part that show you how it was made? So we have 10-year-olds coming up to us and pointing out parting lines, surface finishes, things that sometimes they know the vocab for, sometimes not. But all of that is something that's really beautifully self-reinforcing. Like when they're out with their parents at the park, they might notice something else. In Chicago, a lot of our museums have the Moldorama machines. And we had some students say that when they were on a field trip, they made their teacher buy the Moldorama toy because they knew it looked like what they made in SparkShop.
0: Well wow, that's so fantastic. You're making me want to come.
1: <laughs> I would really <laughs> love to uh, I want to do a scavenger hunt. I
0: want to play that's all so the fun, fun <laughs> games. So, well, it's so hard it's really to wildly creative fantastic. And I know you've spoken to this, but another question that leaps to mind is how did your experience in manufacturing influence the classes you designed? I mean, I know you talked about some of the things welding and CNC machining that inspired you and clearly you've incorporated that, but in any other color you want to add to that that aspect of what you put together?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you summarized it well. It was really all of those experiences that got us so hooked and gave us all the confidence to know that engineering is exactly what I want to be doing, which is, I think, a confidence that can be worn down, especially in young women. So we wanted to sort of take that hook and that that piece that really motivated us and bring it to kids because we think it's crazy that it took us until we were 20 to get to find that. And that was after already doing so much opting into like enrolling in an engineering program in school selecting a major, taking all those classes, and then we found out, right, that this is what we love. So we know that kids are ready for those opportunities at the ages we're teaching. They're ready in fourth grade, and we just want to be the ones to bring it to them.
2: It's really wild. There's there's nothing in my education in high school that prevented me from understanding how casting works, for mm-hmm. example, right? with casting, you melt something, you pour it into a mold. It's pretty basic. I'd been doing that in the kitchen when I was making ice cubes or cupcakes or, (laughs) right, like pretty much anything that you cook is, is done with kind of analogous manufacturing processes. And so those opportunities to understand them, truly understand them are there. The kids have enough learned and lived experience by age nine and 10. And so we're, we were, I mean, still, we had to overcome that barrier of like, "Oh my gosh, is a kid going to want to learn about casting when they're nine years old?" but we have we have seen over and over again
0: that that kind of experience is transformative, mm-hmm. That's fantastic and you just opened my eyes. I never would have um never look at cupcakes the same way again. <laughs> so that's fantastic and just for kids to be able to see in their everyday environment the impact of engineering and see the possibility of it for themselves. I mean, I think that's fabulous that you make all those connections starting with the scavenger hunt and beyond. And I think people, our listeners, are going to be able to distinguish what is distinguishing about SparkShop just based on some of the really creative and unique things you shared already. But I do want to ask the question pointedly in terms of, aren't a lot of people doing this? What makes SparkShop different than other STEM initiatives?
1: Yeah, so so a huge part of our differentiation is our going into the classroom piece of it. There are a lot of STEM programs that we've even met with and collaborated with that offer out-of-school experiences. But we tried to just totally remove as many burdens or barriers to entry as possible. So by being in the school day, parents don't need to sign like any permission slips. There's no opting in for our students. And then also we're able to really boost the teachers as well. So when we send them the post lessons and all the materials and all the curriculum, we see our teachers really like flourish with that. We got a lot of feedback from teachers who have stretched our four post lessons into like multiple hours long experiences each. And they're tying it to books that they're reading and other activities they're doing in the classroom. And I think the ability for a teacher to sort of expand and contract the program to fit their students' needs and what they're currently learning is really unique to us. And then the other piece is that a lot of STEM initiatives we see right now focus a lot on just sort of the flashy tech side. A lot of schools are starting to buy 3D printers and then they sort of check the box and it feels like maker education. The library becomes a little bit of a makerspace, and that's a really valuable tool. We think 3D printers are incredible, but also 3D printers sort of miss out on 99 or the way that 99% of things are made. And we think it's really important for students to not just see new technology as a, as a toy, but as a tool and a tool that exists in the context of how people have always made things.
2: Yeah, so we we see or the, the thing that we really don't want to happen is we don't want a kid to think that they need a 3D printer to be an, an inventor or an engineer. They're expensive. There's a lot of barriers to entry. You need a computer. You need to buy filament. You need to know how to run it. You need to be able to fix it when it inevitably breaks. And, and that's truly kind of got this elitist thing attached to it. And none of these STEM programs that are that are relying heavily on this technology are doing anything wrong. They are pushing the cutting edge education. They're talking about where our industry is going. And that's so, so important. But our goal is to work with really young kids and to get them excited and engaged with the skills they already have. And so we wanted to develop a program that let kids be engineers and inventors, regardless of what technologies they have. And so we showed them the ways that you can, you know, that things were done 6,000 years ago before we were using electricity, as well as what is coming up in this field. And that allows students to kind of place themselves anywhere on that timeline, anywhere on those projects. And we've found that that's one of the things you can do to get lots of kids and particularly low-income students really involved in uh,
0: maker education. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I love the historical perspective and I also love the inclusive perspective. So fabulous. And speaking of that, I why don't we take a step back? And I know you that Sparkshop has not been around very long. And you, you talked about that you you know you're you're continuing to iterate and continuously improve. So I know it's early, but I'd just love to hear what you're most proud of so far. What results you're achieving, either for the students or the teachers themselves. So again, just a bit of context about how long you've been doing this and what results even in this early in its life cycle, you're seeing and what you're most proud of.
1: Yeah. So so Tiernan and I had the idea for SparkShop well before it had a name a little over two years ago. And we've been in schools now for 14 months or so in the classroom. Yeah. And that's that's a bit of a...
2: So the way that the school year works is obviously the kids have summer off. So what we did was we spent about nine months developing our programming and what it was going to look like and what the post lessons were going to be and what we wanted all of everything to communicate. Then from January to June of last year, so 2017, which was the end of the... 2018, end of the 2017-2018 school year, thank mm-hmm. you, Shanali, mm-hmm. is uh, we went into classrooms and at first we taught all seven lessons. We taught everything to the students. We wanted all of the feedback. From there, we refined things and we started to hand off our post lessons to teachers. And even then we'd go back and we'd meet with them and we'd get all this feedback and we'd revise the program over and over and over again. And then starting in the fall of 2018. So this current school year now, we started right back in in the classrooms in the fall and have been working with a number of schools, uh, 14 14 14 schools schools around the Chicagoland area. So our program has been around
1: in schools for less than two years, well (laughs) under two years. And And so last month, we just passed the milestone of teaching 1000 students. So that's the big thing we're celebrating right now.
0: Congratulations. And, that, and so what? And so I know it's been so early, so it's not like there's percentages of graduates who have gone on to engineering fields or anything like that that we can point to. But just even anecdotal yeah. information, something that, again, you might, each of you, be particularly proud of that results you're already seeing this early in your life cycle.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So we, from like day one, we're getting this beautiful qualitative data, right? Just kids telling us that they are enthusiastic and kids enjoying the experience, inventing a ton, and we have been collecting surveys, pre and post surveys, the entire time. So now we are starting to have true data backing it up. But I would say part of, part of what's so rewarding in the classroom is seeing kids really go above and beyond because we're with them for a relatively short amount of time. We do a few workshops. The teachers lead their activities and then we come back at the end to wrap up. But all in all, it's about seven instructional hours. But when we were piloting, we were gathering all of the student work to just make sure that we could look it over, see what the kids were learning, see where they were struggling. And we were finding such cool things. Like we had a student who in his folder of work just had an extra piece of paper tucked in there with all of his like invention ideas that he didn't have time to work on yet. So it was like half a page of just these sentence fragments, like self-driving shoes, a dress that turns into a skirt. He had a whole bunch and they were all like very, very cute ideas. And so it's awesome to see that the engagement doesn't sort of turn off and on when we're there. It's something that's really, really has staying power.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that for the first time in Spark Shop history, mm-hmm. last fall, we taught a class of students as fifth graders who we had taught as fourth graders. And we offer different programs. We have been talking quite a bit about our manufacturing Manufacturing heavy program. It's called materials and manufacturing. And that's one of our personal favorites. But we also teach a class called applied engineering, which is about all the different kinds of engineering. And we teach a class called innovation and entrepreneurship. And it's about how a product goes from, you know, an idea and a problem all the way through the product development cycle. So we taught this group of students about material. We taught them our materials and manufacturing class when they were fourth graders. And we got to teach them again this year. And I was really proud of how much the kids' confidence changed kind mm-hmm. of with from, from one year to the next. And they were really excited and engaged as fourth graders. They were wonderful students. But to see, see the way that a lot of these kids had retained everything, they were still talking about materials and they were talking about things, the way they were manufactured, you know a year later they were also really starting to think about the role of engineers in their own lives so they did a science fair project that was for i think National Geographic where they were supposed to talk about like cleaning up our oceans and this was a the thing they did with their teacher we were not there for this and one of the parts of their project was they were supposed to give a, a presentation and talk about the solution that they had come up with and who would kind of implement it and be involved on the project and these kids Really pushed in a big chunk about like the engineers that were going to build this device and how they were going to need a mechanical engineer to make it and an environmental engineer to, to understand the impacts of the environment. And they were going to need a biological engineer to make sure none of the animals got hurt. And so mm-hmm. like it's really special to see kids start
0: to put engineers as
2: solutions to the, the problems in their
0: world. Well, fantastic. I love those anecdotes. And again, congratulations on your 1,000 students and being in 14 mm-hmm. classrooms. That's an amazing accomplishment in such a short period of time. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So what's going on with SparkShop right now?
1: Yeah, so we are we are totally focused on just putting our program in front of more students right now. We're definitely trying to grow our impact and to get more data, prove that it works, and just like have change, that effect on more students how yeah, to change the lives of more students and more teachers we we get such great feedback
2: from the kids from their parents from their teachers and we want to have we want them we want as many kids as possible to know that they could be engineers if they wanted to when they grow up.
1: so that that just means getting into more schools and more classrooms yeah so we're we're Chicago based we're a Chicago based nonprofit. Our rule so far has been we'll teach anywhere we can drive. Our machines right now go in our personal cars, most of them fit. And we will just get to the door of a school, unload, and sort of create our pop-up makerspace in that classroom. So we've been in some suburban districts. We've done a couple expo nights. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to do more of all of that.
2: Yeah, we're also starting a really kind of exciting new growth opportunity where we are starting to partner with local businesses to create outreach opportunities and to highlight the manufacturing that they are doing locally. So we're really excited to talk to kids about the manufacturing that is happening in their own communities. That is like a really wonderful way to make it personal and to make it real and to make it high stakes. And we know that a lot of businesses are interested in doing outreach and are feeling this shortage of engineers. And so it's a really beautiful kind of collaboration opportunity. So we're starting to build out those partnerships with companies that want to sponsor schools in their communities. So if anybody is interested, mm-hmm. we would love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at sparkshop.org.
0: Or visit our website, which is www.sparkshop.org. That's fantastic. It sounds like an amazing sponsorship opportunity for local businesses as you say for companies and even national businesses global of course and also you know again i'm I imagining that you're inspiring many other listeners also who might be interested in sharing this opportunity with schools and and teachers and you know administrators that they know i mean this is just this is a fabulous opportunity and something that is you've you've shared is very unique And is is again something that the, you know, schools I can imagine would be thirsting for in terms of ways to augment, supplement, extend their curriculum and really serve their students.
1: Yeah, definitely. We we've also worked with some really interesting manufacturers who really customize the student experience too. So we worked with a lighting manufacturer that hosted a field trip. And of course they also have the like demo rooms that show lighting in context in like a hospital and a restaurant and all these things. And so the kids were so fascinated by that. And then one of the activities that they added on was like building up a little flashlight and the, like every student was so engaged. So they got to see the engineering side, design side, and then do their own little manufacturing activity and take something home. So every piece of it felt like very custom to the business. It really built upon the kids experience. And now they know that like that company is in their backyard doing stuff like that. Yeah, we're lucky that we're a small nonprofit and so we're quite adaptable. There's no set in
2: stone yeah. way that a partnership needs to look. Yeah. We are also, as you mentioned, right? If, if people are listening who are not necessarily tied to a business, but want to follow along with our story or talk about us, we are a new, young organization. Our name recognition is not very high right now. <laughs> and so we, we have social media accounts on Instagram and on Facebook. That's called CSEE Spark Shop. Mm-hmm. So people can follow us there and follow along with our journey and our growth. We're documenting things mostly on Instagram at this point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But we would love to hear from any listeners who
1: have thoughts or opinions or... Yeah, especially people in manufacturing who, who kind of feel our background resonating with them. We sort of see the same issues in the field and can also believe in addressing it at a young age. Well, fantastic.
0: And we'll definitely post links to those different resources and sites that you mentioned on the web website. So if people want to go back and refer to that, we'll also get it posted there. Absolutely. So in conclusion, any closing comments for our audience? Anything else, last comments, last remark that you'd, that you'd like to share in addition to all the wonderful information that you've already shared with us?
2: I think I just want to acknowledge how much the, the manufacturing industry has done for me and for Shinali. I really feel like my life and my career was, Mm -hmm. was built the way it was because of how many people in the manufacturing industry opened doors for me. I've, and I've talked here a lot about how I, you know, I felt like I was the only one and I was so alone. And in some experiences, that was true, but in many, of my experiences. People in the manufacturing industry are hungry for new talent. They are open to new ideas. They are welcoming. And so I do want to acknowledge those wonderful people and those wonderful attitudes because that is what allowed me to be where I am today. So I just want to kind of say that that this industry has given me so much and that's why I am comfortable (laughs) being somewhat critical sometimes and then also investing back into it.
1: I don't want it to seem like it's all bad. <laughs> yeah, I would I would totally agree that that the manufacturing industry we think is something that's so dynamic and something that can be so cool and that's what's really driven every step of our program and really our our teaching approach to how we get kids really hooked on the technical fields. And we think that's sort of the the perfect solution. Something can be incredibly hands-on, incredibly connected to a student's life and be relatively high tech. It can be the stuff that we all learned well after high school into college on the job and still be age appropriate for a nine or 10 year old.
0: Well, fantastic. Thank you both so much for sharing your inspiring story and for your tangible advice and for taking the time to engage in this vital conversation with us today. It was much appreciated. And again, it was truly inspiring what you're doing. And thank you so much also to our audience for joining this conversation. Please continue to stay tuned and engage with us at Women in Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Troutline. Thanks so much. Talk soon again. Bye for now. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.